welcome to a novel fixation podcast. We are discussing It by Stephen King. I'm Michelle. And I'm Leslie. And today we will continue with Chapter 3, Six Phone Calls, 1985. More specifically, today we will be talking about Part 2, Richie Tozier Takes a Powder. I'm so excited to talk about this part. Richie is my favorite. I remember being younger, and again, this goes back to the miniseries. I always liked adult Richie. Um, I knew the actor from the show Night Court, and I thought he was hilarious. And so being a little kid, that carried over. It helped that he was always making jokes. Reminded me a little bit of my dad with the hair and the mustache. But, uh... But yeah, so he, he was always one of my, my favorites. Rewatching the miniseries, now I'm kind of going like, older Richie's not so great, but, but back in the day I was a big fan. Well, I feel like I got spoiled because Finn Wolfhard is just one of the most adorable actors. <laughs> and seeing him portraying this like douchebaggy kid, I loved it. <laughs> and so... Watching the miniseries, I love Seth Green, and I thought Seth Green did a great job with Kid Richie as well. But then Harry Anderson, which I also knew from Night Court, I was just so mad because he was <laughs> nothing like Finn or Seth or the Richie that we get to know in the book. Well, I mean, he's funny, but I just, I did, he, <laughs> for a while, I kept saying, not my Richie, whenever I would talk about <laughs> Harry Anderson. <laughs> He didn't match how you read the character, like your interpretation of it. Exactly. And I've become more accepting of books and movies being two separate entities. And I, it's not the fault of the actor. That's the way the character was written. He was written as a cowardly dirtbag. But... <laughs> <laughs> I question the dirtbag, but yeah, he, he definitely comes across fairly uh i'm here i fulfilled my end of it i'm getting the shit out of here sorry about you and the thing like just this is gonna this isn't too spoilery but i don't feel like richie was ever that way in the book he was don't get me wrong he was never the first to volunteer to do ridiculous crazy stuff but he was always (laughs) like okay yeah i'm here let's do this like he would support his friends and he wasn't just like Fuck you, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) That is definitely something that um, I know I will be looking for. I think I I do like Richie, so I don't necessarily want to come at it from a devil's advocate point of view, because I I also kind of hate it when people do that. It just pisses me Mm -hmm. off. But I will try to maybe be a little extra critical just for nostalgia's sake and see if I really see him as cowardly compared to the book version. And I'm sure you're right, honestly, because you've read it more recently than I have. (laughs) But I I will be keeping an eye out for it. Okay, so let's answer one basic question. As two people who live in 2018, who grew up in the 80s and 90s, Neither of us really knew what the expression takes a powder meant. No, no. It my assumption of it, and I, I haven't looked it up or anything. Um, so my context clues are either 
going to the bathroom, going to step out to do drugs, or something else illicit, or you're about to go kill yourself? And I lean towards the third one, I think. Or uh, not the third one, the second one. Uh, drugs or something illicit. I definitely thought it was going to be drugs, too. Like, when I saw takes of powder, powder very much made me feel like, oh, that's got to be a reference to cocaine. It's Stephen King. It's the 80s. It has to be a cocaine reference. Exactly. But actually, <laughs> yeah, but actually, the expression comes from the 20s. And it specifically means to take a break or to take a leave with little to no explanation of what you're doing. That is, <laughs> that is surprisingly on the nose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I feel like Stephen King somehow just knew this phrase and was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what Richie is going to do. He is going to be leaving without an explanation or, or with very little explanation. So there's actually two reasons why the expression takes a powder is believed to be the reason that it is. Okay. Um, one actually comes from kind of drugs um, where doctors would prescribe powder for ailments like headaches or stomach issues or illnesses that you would have. So like if you would get suddenly sick, you'd have to take a powder. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Um but there was also the belief that, yeah, it was the bathroom idea of you need to go to the powder room, but you didn't want to explain why you were going to the powder room. So you would just say, I'm taking a powder. <laughs> so I wasn't completely off. Although that is much more feasible when it comes to women with powdering their nose as opposed to a man. That's true. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to go to the powder room and I don't know. You know what <laughs> are, I'm doing. are you going to go spy on people, Richie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, with that, we will jump into the chapter summary. We start with, of course, Richard Tozier. He is now a successful LA radio DJ. And he receives his phone call from Mike asking him how much he remembers, and he asks if he will come. And Rich immediately agrees. Um, he's like, yes, of course, I'll come. And he starts the process of leaving. He puts on a record so that he can, you know, just deal because that's he's a DJ. That's part of how he deals with life. Music is just that much part of his life. And... um. And he starts, you know, figuring out travel. He calls his travel agent to get some arrangements arrangements made, reserves a room in Derry, and uh, then he calls his boss and lets his boss know that, like, dude, I gotta go. I made a promise. Can't tell you anything else. Sorry. You know, and um, his boss is, of course, rather pissy about that whole thing. And then we find out that Rich has a safe. And along with this land that he's bought and these stocks that he owns, he also has about $4,000 just tucked away for whenever. And the whole time that he's doing this and making these arrangements, he's sort of reflecting on these memories that are you know, coming bubbling back to the surface and 
you know, what it means for him to be leaving his current life and, and to be able to leave it so quickly and not knowing whether or not he's going to come back. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much the, the overview. What, what would you say were some of your top moments from the chapter? Um, I'd say probably my, uh, top moments for me was him talking to his travel agent a woman who he apparently has a really decent relationship with even though they've never actually met in person (laughs) which that that makes me giggle every goddamn time because i i usually read the chapter once just to read it and then i i go through it a second time to you know pull out the things that i want to talk about and discuss and so that i read it the first time and i giggled and i, I read it the second time and i laughed again <laughs> i'm just like i i have so many friends that i have never met that i only know from online and we're so far beyond using first names that the idea of that being considered so chummy is just so amusing to me. (laughs) But considering the time that it's in, it's pretty remarkable because today we have internet and we have so many ways of communicating with people that are outside of our like sphere of who we interact with on a daily basis that it's easy but in the case of Richie living in the 80s and I would assume he wouldn't be one of the like cell phone car phone 80s nah. guys so just the fact that he was able to establish a somewhat cordial relationship with someone that he doesn't know in person also I always had the image of going to your travel agent. I did too. I, I did too. Like you, you show up there, you sit down and you have a meeting about what you want and where you want to go and blah, blah, blah. And then you have to get the ticket. And you're like, yeah, you like, you have a relationship with them because they're your travel agent. So you just go and you're like, Oh, Hey Carol, <laughs> how's your life? How's your boyfriend? Uh, that's good. My life's going good. I love what you did with the office and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it never occurred to me that you could just be like, (laughs) call someone on the phone and say, hey, I want to leave town for a few days. Can you make that happen? And then be like, sure, let's do that. Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense, especially when you think of it in the context of Hollywood. But like, as for us, you know, back in the eight, well our parents back in the 80s <laughs> yeah we weren't doing much we were traveling of our own no i'm charging around the living room on my little toddler legs <laughs> that, that's about all the traveling i was doing but uh yeah yeah that that is a fun moment for me um as well another thing i really liked about the conversation was it gives you a really quick idea of who Richie is because he has the moment where he's like, Hey Carol, I need this thing done. And she's like, all right, will you do your, one of your voices for me? And without thinking about it, he just slips into his voice and she's laughing. And then he slips into another voice and she's laughing and he starts to feel kind of weary of, 
it's so second nature to him, but at the same time, the voices are giving him a headache and he's feeling like he does it without thinking, but he's still being worn out by it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that that's necessarily the doing the voices themselves, but I can definitely, um, I understand what it's like to be stressed out and to have to try to interact with people and be normal and how much more draining that is than it would be on a regular basis. And and that's actually uh, something that I feel throughout the whole chapter is I, I his reactions to the situation and how how they progress through his segment of the chapter <laughs> just like it's like yeah yeah that's me I would do that yep I yeah I would do that too and oh yeah no that's yeah that's exactly how I would react <laughs> so I, I empathize very much I. I very much feel where he's coming from same like i definitely understood stanley's point of view even though we weren't in his head for that part of the chapter but i feel like this is who i like richie is who i would be in a situation like this minus the vomiting i would very much be in a okay this everything has changed and i gotta get everything in order even though i'm kind of freaking out inside and holy crap, all this, no, no, got, got to get this in order. Okay, get all of this in order. Now that it's all in order, now I can freak out. <laughs> <laughs> See that? Yeah, that, and that actually does feed into one of my top moments. And it's actually at, um, just past yours where he's trying to pick out a nice pair of shoes and he's just about decided to go with sneakers instead of loafers. And then he gets a call from Carol. And he gets the call back from her to verify the arrangements. And that dilemma of trying, like, trying to figure out what shoes to wear. And then just like, oh, God, maybe I should just give it up and go with this. That rings very true to me, too. Because I, if I'm dealing with stress, if I'm panicking, and I believe this is what I said in the last episode if i'm panicking i will freeze mm -hmm. but if i am just high stress i will try to function i will try to be logical but little decisions like that will trip me up i will spend minutes trying to figure out what the right decision is what what would be the right pair of shoes to go with this outfit and like i would just keep going back and forth and sadly i also empathize mm. with the puking i it is not I am not like a, oh my god, I have a test, I'm going to puke, or I have an interview, I'm going to puke. But if you put me in a very high-stress, high-anxiety situation, that is how my body responds. It is not fun, but it is also not common, thank goodness. But yeah. Yeah! So hooray, puking! Yay. <laughs> puking is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really not. Um, and you you sort of mentioned this. Um, some of the differences between being in Richie's head while he finds out this news versus 
being outside of Stanley, how do you feel that impacted the chapter and, and such? I definitely feel like we're a lot closer to Richie than we were to Stanley. I think that's one of the major differences. Um, and just understanding, like, I feel like we have a good interpretation of what Stanley was going through, but we weren't in his head, so we don't really know. But with Richie, we know exactly how he was handling it. We were seeing all of the things he was thinking about, his slow remembering of his friends and his enemies and the world that he had to deal with. And I feel like that makes Richie feel more real to me. Not that Stanley didn't feel real, but just I felt a lot more connected to him the first time I read it. That I did with Stanley. It took me a couple of reads to really connect with Stanley. I I don't disagree. Um, even just based on the miniseries, and eventually, once we've gotten further into the book, I will stop saying based on the miniseries. But as we're you know only in the third chapter, <laughs> that's what most of my memory is. But Stanley was one of those characters. He, I I liked him. I thought. The actor was kind of cute because I was young at the time, so it was appropriate. Mm -hmm. He's adorable. And, like I was, I was right? old the first time I watched it, but I was just like, oh yeah, like ten year old me would have had a major crush on that boy. <laughs> yeah, just like a cute little kid. But I was never that attached to him because we get only a couple of minutes of adult Stanley. We don't get to be inside his wife's head, so we don't get to connect even on that much of a level with him and with his life. And, you know, the, we, we, we only got one of his interactions with it, maybe two. You know, we, we just aren't given, he's not given as much screen time and depth as the other characters. And at least as far as we are in the book now, that pans out. Mm -hmm. I definitely... Think so too. It's also interesting, and I wonder if this is going to be a trend through the book series or the the chapters that Richie receives the phone call after Stanley is already dead. Yes, yes. And uh, when I was doing my reread, I was like, "Ooh, I want to make sure because they're in different time zones." Let me. So I googled it, you know, and I made sure and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then I read like two more sentences and got to the part where Richie says there was a three hour difference. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> that was more effort than I needed to go through. For me, I had to flip back a little because, yeah, I read the whole like Richie, like it was like 809 for him. And I was thinking, oh, well, if it's 809, that means it's probably about, um, or it's 5.09 for him, which means it's 8.09 yeah. for um, Mike. And Mike and Stanley were in the same time zone because Georgia and Maine are in the same time zone no matter how far away they are. <laughs> this is true. So for, like, and Stanley, I had to flip back to Stanley's portion, killed himself at 7 o'clock, so. Yeah. So when yeah. Richie receives his phone call at... Um, Eastern eight o'clock. Yeah, Stanley would have been dead for about an hour. That's so. And crazy. yeah, I wonder if that's going to carry throughout the rest of the parts, where 
where like Ben's going to be in, I don't know where Ben is. Like if Ben's going to be where he is and it's going to be like 10 Eastern time, or if Bev's going to be doing, dealing with her stuff at midnight or stuff like that. That is interesting. Yeah. I, that, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would think I, my, my initial assumption is that it will be chronological but and again i'm gonna say based on the mini series and i'm sorry <laughs> if you get sick of hearing it um i'm pretty sure bev gets a phone call at her office that she is either not able to take or ignores or something happens. and then <laughs> no, no she's at home in the, in the mini series okay in in the mini yeah in the mini series I think she gets a phone call in her office she's not able to take it because she's got that big old presentation thing, and then when she gets home she does finally take it or she hears a message or something I think she takes it but yeah, so it's like it's earlier in the day so what I was theorizing <laughs> to make all of this come to a point was that she her her call. It's possible her initial phone call came earlier than the other two, but when she actually got the information and talked to him could have been after. And we can make this really quick, but I was thinking, I wonder why Mike called them in the order he called them in. Because it's not going to be by time zone, because Richie's in LA, Stanley is in Georgia, and Bill is in London. And then... Ben and Bev are somewhere in the middle there and Eddie's in New York. So it's like, it's definitely not based on time zones. And if it, like, if for some reason, maybe he did try calling earlier, I wonder if maybe it's a, just who he feels like needs to hear what first. Interesting. Do you know, do we ever get, um, do you recall if we ever get his thoughts on this? Or his end of it after a phone call I know or anything? we get a little bit of Mike's perspective having already made the phone calls, but I'm not sure if we understand why he contacted who when. So it'd be purely speculative on our parts. Okay, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I know that he... Didn't he keep mm -hmm. a diary? I don't know, maybe it's whoever he came across first in the diary... Maybe it's, like you said, just instinctual, whoever he felt needed to get it. Maybe it was whose phone numbers he could find the easiest. Also, for Mike, just thinking about the fact of in the 80s trying yeah. to figure out where people are. <laughs> like, at least <sighs> if they stick with the, you know, instead of Mike giving them phone calls, he could send them all a Facebook message. <laughs> I imagine it'll be like emails I, I or something. I think it'll probably still be phone calls, but I still think it would be hilarious. If it's just like, hey guys, been a long time. By the way, you're all screwed. <laughs> I don't know if I would answer because you wouldn't know the. See, that would that would be the thing. I would uh, I would see that it was an unknown number. I wouldn't answer that shit. I would listen to the message and then I'd be like, mm. <laughs> I don't know if I want to deal with this. They might add like a stipulation of maybe they were all expecting a call from somebody and that's why they answered. <laughs> um, it's like maybe Richie was waiting for a phone call from his boss or a girl he's dating and Stanley was waiting for a client or 
oh, Al Pacino's calling Eddie, so he, like, he's not going to know the phone number for Al Pacino. <laughs> or just, as you were about to say, like, it's movie universe, so people just answer their phones in movies. They answer it and the people start talking without anyone ever saying hello, and they all just hang up and just know that the other person hang up, hung up or that yeah, conversation like, was over. Yeah, hi, I'm here to tell yeah. you the thing that I want to tell you. We're not going to have any pleasant trees, and I'm not even going to say goodbye when I end the call. <laughs> Which, surprisingly enough, Richie actually just hangs up on mm-hmm. Carol both times. Gently, it says. Always leave them laughing. But uh, yeah, he just hangs up on her both times. And then, of course, his boss hangs up on him. <laughs> so maybe it will be like TV universe. You just call and get the point across, get it off. <laughs> Definitely possible. Oh, Okay, man. so from that point, um, let's see. What would be a good jumping off? Let's go to coping mechanisms. I was going to say, why didn't he lie okay, to his boss? Okay, let's go with that one. Why didn't he <laughs> lie to his boss? <laughs> yeah, so so he calls his boss after he talks to Carol, and he's, you know, his boss is like, what's up? And he's like, uh, something's come up. I've got to take a powder. I've got a boogie. I'm, I'm, I'm pissing off for a few days. i got to take off work. And his boss asks, what's up? And he's like... Uh, look, I made a promise to f- some friends back home that I would come back, and now I have to. Why the fuck would you yeah. tell your boss that? Who tells their boss the truth yeah, like that? Yeah, like, when I call my boss to call in, it's like, he is getting the bare minimum. <laughs> it's like, hi, I am not coming in today, that is it. If you ask yes. me why, I will be like, I'm not feeling well. Or when he gives him the out of... Did your mother die? I feel like I would probably be like, yes, yes, that that is what happened. And it's not a jinx because his mother's <laughs> already dead. So <laughs> I think I would have been like, no, but my aunt is very sick. Because I feel like they might verify if his mom's alive. But they're not going to check random I don't know. Aunt. His boss doesn't seem like the checking in type. I think he's just the, I want to hear you tell me why you can't be here type. And then after that, I'll be like, okay, fine. At least you had a good excuse. Whereas this is, you're not getting squat. You're getting, I made a promise when I was 11. As a 30, like, 8-year-old man, I made a promise when I was 11 to do a thing. And it's like, okay, well, when I was 11, I used to pick my nose. Let's move on with life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I can see where someone might get a little bit pissy if they feel like uh, they're not even respected enough to get a decent mm-hmm. lie. <laughs> I mean, telling the truth is good, folks. It really is. It's what you but should let's be do. honest. But it's just sort of commonly accepted that people don't tell their bosses the truth, especially when it comes to something okay, so Okay, I'm going to say most people as adults have... At some point, <laughs> called into work when they weren't sick or there wasn't an issue. Sometimes you just need what is affectionately called a mental health day. Some days you just can't or you don't want to go into work and you need that time off. Ideally, we would actually be given those and not be penalized for But that's them. a whole issue in and of itself. 
Yes, that's a completely that's okay. different rant. Sorry. <laughs> Back on track. He doesn't even try. He doesn't even try. So what, why do you think he doesn't try? I just try? wondered if maybe... Like, I actually didn't really know what I thought. Because, yeah, for me, it's just like, why wouldn't you lie? Why wouldn't you do something? Or at the very least, be like, I have to go home for family reasons. Give a vague lie. <laughs> yeah. It it seemed to me as though... Um... At this point, he's kind of on autopilot. He's just trying to get through, and he's definitely trying to avoid remembering things. But those memories are still coming back up. And um, I also feel like, you know, he seems to know his boss well enough to know that he would probably be pissed off no matter what the reason was. And so even if it's a shit, it sounds like a shit reason, childhood promise, if your boss is going to be pissed no matter what, keep it simple, don't think too much, especially when you're already, like, trying not to collapse under all of the stress. I can definitely see that being um, a thing, especially when you're in a state of shock and you're just trying to get things over with, you might not have the ability to come up with the common sense explanation of a good lie or a passable lie. Sometimes you're just, okay, I need to get this done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I liked, cause I liked how, you know, he would say something and then it said, and he paused or, and he waited patiently. And, you know, like he knew his boss was going to have some sort of remark and be pissy about it. But if he just waited mm-hmm. it out, it would be done, you know? It's an interesting it, it it is it is definitely an interesting thing. I don't know. I, I don't know what I would do. I feel like I yeah, would probably same. lie. Sorry, boss, if you're listening. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I don't think any of even you even if are. you are, it's like, I'm sorry, if I get a phone call from someone from my past telling me I have to go back and defeat an evil monster, you're gonna get lied to. <laughs> Well, when you put it like that, yes, yes, you're going to get lied to. <laughs> you do not need to know about my monster-defeating ways. That's resume <laughs> shit. That's not stuff you just tell your poor boss. <laughs> nice. Use that shit to get you a better job. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know, but... I defeated an evil monster when I was 11, then I went back when I was 38, and I did it again. <laughs> so, kind of awesome. <laughs> kind of a big deal. <laughs> I mean, nobody can verify this. There's there's this sort of supernatural aspect, and everybody tends to forget things. But no, I swear <laughs> I'm telling the truth. It's a fantastic story <laughs> that no one can verify, even I don't know the details of. <laughs> It's not my fault. Like I said, I kind of forget. <laughs> it's the turtle. The turtle can't help me now. <laughs> oh, that weird turtle. So we, this is a nice segue into the turtle. So he isn't mentioned by name in this portion of the chapter, unlike with Stanley's portion. But was he there? Like, was his influence in this part of the chapter? And I think definitely because Richie is um, very successful, which, you know, 
could be of his own merit, but he's not just successful, but he's good at his job and he's financially successful and he has picked the right stocks and he has acquired land that has been very lucrative. He's done a lot of things that have led to him being financially prosperous. Yes, and I, I think that the um the stocks honestly are what push it for me the most. Uh the other stuff adds to it, but the stocks are the clincher because he says that he showed up to his broker, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Uh financial advisor whatever anyway he shows up to his money dude and um he said the the guy's just like oh god you know doesn't want to deal with him because he just feels like it's chaotic but all of the stocks all of the random chaotic strange stocks that he bought performed amazingly so it's it's not like he got this great advice and decided to take it it's more like with stanley how he just knew he just knew that going to this job here would be good for him and his wife. Richie just knew that picking these stocks, and these were going to work for him. And I was thinking as you were talking about this, um, another part of the POV aspect is because we were being told the story through Stanley's wife's point of view, we got a lot of their past and we were more or less seeing the flashes of their life, kind of like a quick video montage without whereas with Richie we were getting more of a okay this is what I did that's what happened like it was more of a we never left Richie in that moment to dwell on the past it was just sort of oh I did this thing and now I have this stuff yeah yeah he he's definitely more mm -hmm. present than than the chapter with Stan and his wife um nice catch yeah but the what I was going to say was um, I like the the way that King uses the repeated insults to sort of bring Richie's anxiety to the forefront and help illuminate how the memories are slowly coming back to him and how they're starting to affect him. And I do not like the insults themselves, but the way that the use of those repeated phrases, the way that that affects the chapter, I, I enjoy. And um, one of the other things that uh, I really like, and I think this might be one of my favorite quotes, so I apologize for jumping around, um, is the opening sentence to Richie's section. It says, Rich felt like he was doing pretty good, until the vomiting started. I just really dig Stephen King's opening lines. They're simple, but they do so much to set the stage. You know, this, you know, like, ah, oh, he feels like he's doing pretty good until he starts vomiting. Like, okay, so you know this whole time, like, shit's going down. He, something is, something is wrong. And it's the same with, um... You know, Stan's section and his his wife thinking, you know, her opening line is something about she should have known something was wrong the moment he went to take a bath, blah, blah, blah. You know, in, in the first line of the book I mentioned in the first podcast, like the, he just really uses a, 
And it's so simple. He doesn't dive into detail right away, but it just immediately sets the tone. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I feel like every opening line has been one of the, like, it has been a teaser for what's to come. It has been intriguing so that it pulls you in. It tells you where you're going without giving it, like, the whole thing away. It's just, it's so masterfully done, in my opinion. Definitely. Agreed. Agreed. I kind of forget where I had taken us from. okay. We were talking about um, the influence of the turtle. Um, Yes. So because of the stocks, I definitely agree with you. I think that just the luck of picking crazy stocks and it working out definitely implies a supernatural element. And Richie is talented. Richie is funny. And by the way, if you guys have the chance to listen to the audiobook, if you're not going to listen to any other part of it, listen to Richie's portion because it is hilarious. Like the guy who does it does amazing voices. I still need to look that up. <laughs> Hashtag I actually have a social life now. <laughs> I have not I have been slacking in my podcasting duties and I, I apologize. <laughs> I, will be I got nothing else going on, so I can. <laughs> I was not trying to say that as a slam to you. <laughs> Just like I actually feel busy for once, and it's weird for me. <laughs> it is strange. <laughs> I I'm a homebody. I I kind of like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. Um, I don't really see any other influence from the turtle, but I definitely think it. It boosted him. Do you think that there is a point to the influence, or do you think that's something we should maybe save until we've had all of their opening? Bits? I think that the point, at least as far as we know at this point, is just the connective tissue because they all lead very different lives. I mean, there are a few things they have in common. Sure, none of them have children. Sure, none of them. Or all of them seem to be financially well off. And then there's probably a couple other things. But I feel like there is this, like the way that they're well off seems magical. And it's a magical connection that spans their lives. But what do you, like when I'm trying to think of a purpose for them, for the turtle helping them to be financially well off. The only thing I can think of is that it enables them to leave their lives to come back to Derry to fight. So along something along those lines, do you, what, what do you think the reason is? I think is? that's definitely part of it. Like he wanted, the turtle wanted them to be able to return to face it. I also wonder if perhaps it, like the financial aspect was a reward for defeating him the first time. Interesting. Like defeating, hmm. yeah, like the defeating of it was a, one of the most taxing things. And when they have to bring go back to him again, it is going to wreak havoc upon their lives, slash, they might not be able to survive the second time through. So he was like, Well, let's give them the gift of financial success to <laughs> make their lives easier. And perhaps with children, like the no children aspect, 
of if they're not coming back, then they're not leaving another set of innocent children. Yes. Yes. They have less of an attachment. Uh, not that other people with kids cannot love other things, but it's it's similar to the logic behind um, in the Game of Thrones TV show or the Song of Ice and Fire book series that it's based on. Uh, the same logic for why knights or the men who go to the Night's Watch don't have families and don't have kids, because it's easier to sacrifice yourself when you don't have as many blood ties to things. And with financial success, they've all been able to live out their dreams, becoming famous DJs or architects or designers, and they've been able to have pretty decent lives until this moment. So they're at least fulfilled in some ways, if not always. Which I think brings us to... uh back to the topic of depression um we i think we decided that stanley to us definitely reads as a depressed character do you feel the same way about richie do you think he's depressed i definitely think so um it's not as obvious as with stanley in my opinion it seems like richie's got a lot going for him he doesn't seem to have the ache of not having children he doesn't seem to be like Oh, I don't have a girl, I don't have, or a guy, I don't have someone to love, I don't have a child, I'm, my life is, like, there are things missing from my life. Richie seems pretty content with the life that he has. And Yeah, yeah. But there's also, I feel like there's also that he's happy with his life, but there still seems to be a dissonance, I guess would describe it as yeah yeah and and as i uh, i believe most people know these days you know depression is not based on what you have it's not you know about people being it's more than just being sad it's more than just being upset that you don't have more and so that's not what we're Mm -hmm. saying here but yeah i i agree there's there's one quote specifically the you know he he gets off the phone and he he says something about how it's gets harder to be yourself every year and that that right there it gets harder to be yourself that to me sounds very much mm-hmm. like a depressive mindset um and i i i'm a i'm hesitant to say yes he definitely is so i am a firm maybe it's leaning towards yes. <laughs> Let me hedge all my bets here. <laughs> I have a couple other quotes to add to the possibly depressed angle. When Mike calls him and he puts on a voice because that's how he get like that's how he's made his living. That's how he has gone through his adult life, like doing voices. But most of his voices are comical. But the one he chooses to do with Mike is a I'm all right, boys. It sounds great, but it was a lie, just like all the other voices were lies. So he sees his, yeah, he sees the world that he's built for himself as a lie. Yeah, that is, that, yeah, that is interesting. I definitely, 
I, I have different voices, not in the way that he has different voices, but I know um, when I worked in retail and I had to make announcements to the store, I had an announcement voice. Um, and I know that I have a phone voice if I'm in a professional setting and answering the phone. Sometimes even when I'm not in a professional setting, the way I say hello is just, it's left over from when I was younger and we didn't have things like um, caller ID. <laughs> so you always answered mm -hmm. super politely. Hello. <laughs> Which I mean, um, like whenever I have to make a phone call today, there is a big difference between the voice I use in my everyday life and when I'm having to call to make a doctor's appointment or even call to order pizza. I'm always just like, hello, I would like to order a pizza. And like, it's not even something I think about doing. It's just I automatically like tried to add a bit more professionalism and maybe perk to my voice. I, uh... I hate being on the phone so much. I only order pizza oh, from same, apps now. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do have to make a phone call. But back when you did. <laughs> yeah. And like same, even with tattoo same. artists, like I'll call up my tattoo artist and I'll just be like, hello, I'd like to make an appointment to get my next tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I get into a, I, I don't even know what the mode is. Not quite. Yeah, I guess it's slightly more professional whenever I'm talking to anyone because it's always that like, all right, I'm going to tell you my name and I'm going to spell it for you because I know you need that information. And okay, yes, now I'm going to give you this. And it's, I try to be patient, but also, you know, like, definitely mm -hmm. not my everyday voice. <laughs> but yeah, as far as his... um I'm all right voice. I don't have a voice that I think of like that, but I definitely do the whole, like, there are ways that I handle situations when I'm stressed and putting myself forward as being okay for right now is definitely mm -hmm. one of those ways. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to cry in front of you or yell in front of you or deal with whatever emotions I'm having right now. So yes, I am going to tell you that I'm fine and I'm going to try to get out of this as fast as I can so I can go okay. deal with my shit in private. And I do, I feel like that's that's what his everything is alright voice accomplishes for him. A way to try to maintain the facade that everything is okay until he's at a point where he can safely lose his shit yeah i agree with that um i also think that just i don't know it seems well, i talked about this earlier when he was talking when we were talking about his conversation with carol like he knows the right things to do to get through conversations but he doesn't necessarily it doesn't feel like he necessarily connects with yes it felt much more like he was going through the motions because that's what's expected and that's what will get him off the phone. But it's not ungenuine, but it's also not a genuinely connected moment. He, like, she's not his friend. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least not at that point she in time. Is, yeah, yeah. Chum. They are chummy. It's like it's like <laughs> the person that you say hi to in the break room that you don't necessarily have a long relationship with and you're probably not going 
you might spill your problems to, but you're probably not going to spill your problems to on a regular basis. Like, Yeah, I, I have some of those at my new job. People are friendly. I am learning. And so I, I'm also kind of shy and it's loud. And so I, I have a couple of people. I'm like, oh, hi, good morning. Oh, have a good weekend. How are you? You know, but that's that's just kind mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> they fall into the sort of almost an acquaintance exactly. category. And the thing about Richie is when he is preparing to go, he doesn't think about the people he's leaving behind. He doesn't. Like, we don't hear about friends, or he seems to be mourning his life, but he doesn't seem, I don't know, he doesn't seem as connected to his life as he did before. And that could be, they suppress it could be that the news has driven him into the state of disconnect. And something I can bring up very quick is... Patty Uris compares um, the look on Stanley's face to methodically unplugging cords, and mm-hmm. Richie compares um, parts of his life to strings. Oh, mm-hmm. he does, doesn't so he? The strings that build your life together, and how hard, or how easy it was to get rid of them. And I don't know that a depressed or a non-depressed person would necessarily think of it that way. True. But again, True. this is all speculation, and we might be talking out of our asses, but... <laughs> <laughs> also true. <laughs> Just being an odd little detail. One of the things that Richie does after he's puking, he's crying, and he, you know, notes that he hasn't cried since his mother died, and just absentmindedly pops his contacts out of, you know, his eyes and into his hands. And um, and that's kind of it. It goes on with the rest of this, the description of him trying to deal with this. But the the insults, a lot of the insults that are repeated throughout his portion are about, about the fact mm-hmm. that he wore glasses. And there's also a moment where he's packing and he's just throwing clothes into suitcases and he realizes later that he packed, you know, just like t-shirts and jeans and what he would consider kids clothes. And so I'm guessing, I'm speculating because I do not remember. Um, I'm speculating that he will end up in dairy without his contacts and have to get some clunky old glasses like what he had when he was a kid. Um, to sort of go with the whole clothing thing. And and if that's not the case, that's just such an odd detail to throw in there. Oh, he was crying. He popped out his contacts. And let's move on. And, and you know, if it doesn't ever get followed up on, that's just so weird. I do remember in the many series that he does have contacts when he goes back to Derry. So the contacts will come into sure. play. I'll just go on ahead and say that. I won't say how or why, but um sweet. Sweet. I noticed a detail <laughs> that's gonna matter. <laughs> in some possibly very small or it's relevant way. I don't know. <laughs> that Richie associates the reason he was bullied with his glasses and that he sees glasses as an imperfection. 
because when he sees the couple that's walking along the beach, he thinks, oh, they're perfect. Oh, wait, no, they're not. They're wearing glasses. Yeah. Now, do you think that that is a thought that he always would have had? Or do you think that that is a thought brought on by all of the memories Um, bubbling up? I tend to think that this is something he would have always thought, or else I feel like Richie would be the kind of guy who was still wearing glasses and maybe had contacts for, like, special occasions. And then once he realized that it was back, maybe he would go into the copay or he would pop them in to be like, I'm a different guy. See, I'm, I'm wearing contacts. I'm different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So speaking of who Richie is and like his thought processes, mm-hmm. um, something I wanted to talk about very briefly was the promise that the losers made. Now we don't know at this point what the promise was. Like we could guess and say, okay, they promised to come back to defeat it. Um, but do mm-hmm. you think that they had to come back? Like was the promise that they made binding? Is it like the goblet of fire where once your name is put in and pulled out, then you're bound to it? Or do you think it was just they like all of the losers knew how important it was that they go back even though they didn't remember why so that's why they're going i think the latter i and part of this is just due to my lack of memory of very many supernatural elements other than pennywise himself and his visions um i tend to think that things are less magic-y in this world. So I, I think it was more that the um, the instinctual remembrance of the importance mm. of that promise, which is quite a mouthful to say. Um, Richie makes it clear that he remembers that he made a promise, but he doesn't even remember what that promise was. So he doesn't know if he promised to go back or if he promised to do something else, he just knows that in order to fill to fulfill that promise, he has to go back. And so I think it's that that basic tiny bit of remembrance that he has is powerful enough that he feels he has to go back. And I think that you know, as as we go through the the his segment you know, we're getting deeper and deeper glimpses into these memories and he he describes it as a crypt opening up. And so I think we can take from that that these are not good feelings. He's got a feeling of impending doom and bad, horrible things. And I think that with, in conjunction with remembering how important the promise was, even without the details, is what drives him and the others to go back. Okay, I tend to think that they had to go back. And this is just based off of Stanley and Richie's experiences. But I feel like if it was just an instinctual knowledge, I don't know that that would have been enough to cause Stanley to end his life. I go completely the opposite direction. <laughs> we don't disagree often, but when we do, it's drastic. 
it really is. <laughs> I interpret that as if it was a magical imperative that he had to go back, he wouldn't be able to end his own I do life. agree with you that the, like, that this universe has Pennywise's magic and it's got the turtle's influence, but it's not like Expelliarmus type of magic. It's not as potent. Yeah. But I do think that it's more potent than you think it is. Which is why I lean more towards the, like, they had to go back. I, I think, okay. I think the impact of being reminded of the promise via the calls from Mike can be related to magic through the fact that I think the way they forgot was magically influenced. But I don't personally believe that they themselves magically were bound to come back. Um, I think that with Stanley, it was more the fear, possibly the fact that he as we speculated before, remembered more and possibly remembered faster um, because he had been reading Bill's books um, and that could have affected him. And if his character is similar to his character in the miniseries and in the first movie, then it takes a lot to get him to even believe in Pennywise. And so having built this life for himself, having all of these horrible memories come back, and then having to deal with the fact, again, that Pennywise is real. I think that was too much, and that's what drove him to it, or at least was the the last thing. Um, but again, I don't remember shit about the turtle, and that makes me feel... I I I I I agree. I could be discounting the magic within the universe more than I should, but I'm sticking to my original assessment until proven otherwise. <laughs> and I'll I'll wait as we go through the book, you know, as opposed to what we usually do when we Google the hell out of shit to make <laughs> Which, our. Yeah, points. definitely agree to disagree. Like, I definitely think that it was more of a magical contract that they were bound to, but I am willing to move on to the next um, portion. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we should likely not argue for... <laughs> argue forever over something neither of us can actually prove. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, it, it would be interesting to get your thoughts, um, especially as we continue throughout. I think that's one of the things we're going to be touching on is what's magical and what's not. That should be fun. <laughs> a, a new segment. Um, magic yeah. or coincidence? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are we ready for our so. favorite quotes? And because Richie is my favorite character, I have a lot. <laughs> and the I noticed. <laughs> is i only put down four i have 10 highlighted in my um copy of the digital book <laughs> so i i 
There were a couple that you had that I also liked. But yeah, let's let's go ahead and and get into them. Okay, so one we address that you addressed earlier was um talking about how things got harder to do every year. It's after um he gets off the phone with Carol and he's done all of his voices and he's done his normal shtick and then it goes and now he had to go back to being himself and that was hard. Got harder to do that every year. It was easier to be brave when you were someone else. I do like that one. That one, it, yeah, it resonates. It's easier to be brave when you you can pretend a bit. One of my favorites, well, and I, I mentioned it earlier, um, was just the opening, the opening sentence. I have already gone on and on and on about how much I like it. It's a great sentence. Um what is one of your other ones? So this one is uh, where he gets the phone, like the next phone call from Carol confirming his travel arrangements. And she managed to get him a flight that got him pretty close to Derry. And then um, he'd have to take a car and drive 26 miles. And he thinks to himself, only 26 miles. Is that all, Carol? Well, maybe it is. In miles, anyway. But you don't have the slightest idea how far it really is to Derry. And I don't either. But oh god. Oh dear god. I'm going to find out. <laughs> That's, um... That is one of yours that I really liked. But in my head, he's a lot more sassy. <laughs> Only 26 miles, Rich thought. Is that all, Carol? <laughs> 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 kind of with the whole, like... You know, Becky is an in well, uh, Becky is a generic name. Like I read Carol as a generic name there. Like really, is that all, Carol? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's our ways of dealing with stress because we mentioned that we both relate to Richie, but I think we both relate to him in different ways. Whereas I feel like maybe you would be a bit more um, like the vomiting, yes, and then. I feel like yours would, I feel like you would immediately go to annoyance and I wouldn't, I would still be in shock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not, that's not a comment on you. (laughs) There are really no lies detected there. I'm not going to make excuses. I do. Yeah, that that is one of those things. I get stressed and yeah, people piss me off more. My tolerance level goes completely away. I don't want to deal with anybody's bullshit and almost everything comes across as bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until I calm down. Usually I'm I'm able to calm down and step back and you know. Huh. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Whereas for me, I'm pretty I'm much in like, okay, I'm calm and cool. I, I might snap at someone I'm closer to. Like once when I was throwing a party and my husband forgot to get the ice, I might have lost my nut on him when it came to the ice. But it's like, <laughs> I wasn't going to go crazy on some random person or be mad at that random person. I was I I save my crazy for the people I can crazy with. <laughs> I have only really 
gone off on one random person that one time at work. <laughs> and she wasn't random. She was so incompetent. I, I I challenge anyone to have been in that situation and not lost their shit. Let me tell you, it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really bad. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so moving back on. <laughs> Um, my next favorite quote is something that I think really pertains to our world today. Um, it says, each year the world Rich lived in felt more and more like a huge electronic haunted house in which digital ghosts and frightened human beings lived in uneasy coexistence. Like, I feel like that's us now. Oh, definitely. You know, we live in an age where if it's on the internet, it is forever, especially if you are in any way famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I have to imagine there are people who post things, delete them and go, oh, fuck, please let no one ever bring that mm-hmm. up again. I'm actually dealing with that right now because I had a situation at work and I posted about it on Facebook. And then I kind of forgot about the fact that, you know, all of my coworkers I'm friends with on Facebook and. Oh no. (laughs) So I deleted the post, but I like, it's still like, I still keep getting questions about it. (laughs) And I'm like, I did. I was just mad in the moment. I didn't actually mean it long term, and I was stupid. And now I'm never gonna live it down. Ah. <laughs> and now I'm really curious. I'm gonna have to ask you about this afterwards. I wasn't a big deal. <laughs> You're gonna tell me to shut up. <laughs> it really wasn't that big of a deal. It was just I was mad that we might have to do overtime. Oh, that yeah. And I was ranting about it, and my coworkers. One of the things, one of my pet peeves in life is having to repeat something over and over again. And our boss came out and he told us that we might have to do overtime. But then, like, each of my coworkers read this status at a different point in time. And for some reason, even though I posted it hours before, right after the overtime announcement happened, they all got insanely like, oh, my God, we have to have overtime. I didn't know this. And I'm like. He mentioned it like six hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) And clearly we don't because he didn't mention it again, but it was in that time. (laughs) (sighs) People. Yeah. But I deleted the post because I got annoyed that people were asking questions about it. But now, like, random people are like just now opening their Facebooks and seeing it on their timelines and I'm getting like messages like oh well you think that's hard try blah 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 and I'm like oh my god I'm like this is the post that never ends (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't have to be a contest it's like I'm not saying you're that my life is the only life that has inconveniences this isn't Michelle is right about all of the world's problems. This is just, (laughs) this is my life. This is my problem. And this is me ranting about my problem. I think that's fair. (sighs) Speaking of problems, um, (laughs) I have a couple of more quotes to add. Um, 
So, uh. <laughs> um, one of them is actually a joke that Richie says. And there are a couple of Richie's jokes that I kind of like grimaced at or cringed at because some of them are like, oh, yeah, you can only get away with that in the 80s. But this one's kind of funny because it's when he's telling his boss that he's going to um, be going home and his boss is like, oh, you're going home, huh? Well, I don't care if you have this problem or that problem and you have to go back to blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And he mentions like Shithouse Falls, North Dakota, or Pussy Hump, something, something. And Richie's like, actually, I think Shithouse Falls in Arkansas. <laughs> and that one always makes me laugh. <laughs> Just like, uh, that is, of course, the, the one that you would, like, fixate on, Richie. <laughs> You've watched Torchwood, yes. yes. Uh, I always read that line more akin to, um, before Yanto is really a field agent, and he's giving them information on something, and they're like, oh, the city of Splot, and he's like... I believe it's pronounced Splo. <laughs> so I'm always, I, I read it as, actually, I think Shithouse Falls is in Arkansas. <laughs> just very matter of fact. Like, oh no, that, just quick correction here. No. <laughs> I think it's very interesting how differently we read lines. You know? Mm -hmm. I think it's just the perspective of like, just the way that you think about the world in general, and that's how you interpret text. Like, it's the exact same text, but it's just the way your brain um, reads it. I think it also, mm -hmm. for me, I was, I listened to the podcast, so the way that, or the audiobook, mm. so the way that they read it also influences the way that I read it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense, definitely. All right, I'm saying definitely a lot. Yeah, sometimes it's um, definitely, sometimes it's absolutely, sometimes we're changing the subject. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have one more because I have all of them. I just highlighted uh -huh. the whole chapter and I'm just... I, I feel like, I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> it's, like... <laughs> uh, it's when he's, um, opening his safe and he's looking at the things like the deed to his house and the stocks that he owns and the land that he owns and he thinks about setting it on fire and he realizes that's kind of crazy and it goes the first real terror struck him then and there was nothing at all supernatural about it it was only the realization of how easy it was to trash your life and it goes into a much longer, deeper quote that I will not get into because it's long as crap. <laughs> but it's pretty much just he talks about how all he has to do is set this on fire and it doesn't like it won't mean anything anymore. Like not like this life that he spent all this time building, it's not going to take much to get rid of it. And I think that that's kind of the thesis statement of the chapter, almost. Okay. Okay. 
interesting. So what would you say is your grossest or scariest moment of the chapter? Um, I mean, honestly, this chapter wasn't really that scary or gross. I agree. Yeah, like it was one, like it was almost a bit of a break from what we've been dealing with so far. <laughs> like I wasn't at really that creeped out at all for most of the chapter. Like there might have been No, it was Oh, sorry, go ahead. I I agree. It was it was nice to not just feel emotionally drained by the carnage. Which might be another reason why I like Richie so much, because it's not optimism. Like it doesn't feel like he's a happy go lucky dude. But it's a more realistic way of approaching life that I can get on board with. Like it's not just death and destruction and sadness and ah it's more (laughs) like it felt more like this is something that would happen in real life all right um so the point the the moment i picked just for the sake of having a moment was the richie vomiting part because he like vomits gross (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's why i picked richie vomiting because it was honestly probably the grossest thing that happened in the chapter uh for me um i chose one of the descriptions of the memories he's on the phone with the dairy townhouse clerk and um one of the phrases the clerk says brings up some memories and um uh, reminds him of again the insults um, from the bullies, and he describes the memories of like you know again like crypts are opening up, but it isn't the stench of decaying bodies, rather decaying memories, and that's worse. And just the the repeated use of those insults again is so powerful, and um, the implications that he could be remembering the stench of decaying bodies and all of these horrible things. It's just such a creepy vibe. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'd I'd have to say that's the one that just like, makes me shiver a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty gross. Like, not gross in the physical sense, like the vomiting is gross, but just in the... Mm -hmm. Like just thinking about the past as a as something that decays is very yeah gross to think yeah. about. Yeah, the imagery is mm-hmm. unpleasant. <laughs> um, so going from unpleasant, your favorite character. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say we know who that is. Richie from the shock of the century. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite character in the book couldn't possibly your fa- be your favorite character of this segment, too. I mean, it'll probably um, be different in some chapters. Like, there's a chapter that I think about, like, that immediately comes to mind that he's in, that he's not my favorite character of the chapter. But in this chapter, definitely my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, I pretty much agree. The manager he talks to, like, his manager is an asshole, although it's completely understandable, <laughs> you know. He's, his excuse is, yeah, I made a promise when I was 11, so I gotta go. That's it. Um, and he's just like, lie to me, asshole. Tell me a lie. <laughs> I gave you a couple of good lies. Tell me a lie. <laughs> And, uh, and then, um, I, I was gonna say Carol initially, but honestly, I've been binging Archer, and the secretary in Archer is Carol slash Cheryl, and she is nuts! She is completely batshit crazy. And so, when I went to, you know read the interactions that he had with her and it describes her as you know gales of laughter and blah screaming laughter i think like all i could picture is cheryl carol from archer and no (laughs) (laughs) so richie it is (laughs) he's just such a fascinating character like he's funny and he's relatable to me and the way he copes with things like definitely put on some tunes and just get about your life. I can get on board with that. Like he is just, yeah, yeah, very good character. And like, I'm glad we're doing this in parts because I would hate to have to pit all of the losers against each other in this chapter. (laughs) Yeah, it would, it would, well, and it would be forever long Mm -hmm. too. Oh yeah. Like it would take (laughs) 5 million years. (laughs) It might be parts anyway, because we'd have to sleep and go to work. Yeah, eventually, yes. <laughs> um, so things that we're going to keep in mind as we move forward. Um, do we think the rest of the losers are depressed? Is that also something that unifies them? And also, one of the interesting things is that Richie also makes a reference to out of the blue and into the black and so we're gonna kind of keep our eyes out and see if that reference pops up anywhere else um in the book in general but specifically also in these phone call segments okay so i think that does it for this podcast yes thank you so much for listening if you want to keep up with us you can follow us on twitter at novel underscore fixation Or you can request to join our Facebook group, A Novel Fixation. Next time, we will continue with Chapter 3, Part 3, Ben Hanscom Takes a Drink. Until then, float on, listeners. Float on.